0: Google is our God, when we really have questions where we need a super being to tell us what to do, we turn to the Google search box. Facebook is the heart. We have an instinct to need to love. Facebook through images is helping us put to that instinct to take care and love others. Amazon is our consumptive gut, making we get more for less. And Apple appeals to our genitals, the reproduction. This says you have good genes and you are a worthy mate because you are part of the innovation class.
1: Welcome to the Ty Lopez show. I have one of the more interesting books I've read in 2017. Scott Galloway, he flew out here on his way to Vegas to party. He's a professor at NYU. He's been ranked as one of the top business professors and he wrote a book uh, that I think is important. It's not just interesting, but it's important. And some books are interesting, but not important. And some books are important, but not interesting. So this is kind of both. So I'm going to lay the groundwork, and then I I read the whole book last night again. I kind of had read it before, but I read it from start to finish. Um, I was up till five in the morning. Reading All right. This. Sorry about yeah. that. No, no, it's worth it. So the book is about the Big Four that pretty much dominate more than you realize: Amazon, Google, Facebook, and uh, and Apple. So. I've been tweeting about this. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. my Twitter the last. I two have. Quarters. I
0: recognize some of your stats. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I would put. It, I would put that it's a quote, but it gets a lot more uh, Twitter if it's. So I kind of reworded them, but I figured you got the stats from somewhere, so I got the yeah, stats from you. That's that you fine. From. So Apple has more profit than Amazon's had. Apple in one quarter has more than Amazon's had since inception. Facebook, you consider the most successful by growth, I don't know, organism on the planet. Most successful man-made thing in history. You say Google's God, Yeah. because we used to pray to God when we didn't know something, and now we Google it. Yep. And you say Amazon is, I like how you put Amazon, it's like, unlimited capital raised. Its goal is to make it as hard as possible to compete with it. So they're like, if we can spend Billions of dollars. Did you really say floating warehouses? So Amazon has applied for
0: patents on a bunch of things including a warehouse that floats and drones that can reassemble from small to bigger drones And I think it's a bit of a head fake just so they can dominate the front page So right now we're all obsessed with their second hard quarters. Yeah, most companies Most companies don't do it. They just make a decision and they announce it But if you look at old media, it's basically been co-opted into being the investor relations PR department for big tech So how many things have you received via drone? I don't think, have, we, we get so much, I don't think so. No, I, I think it's coming in a I'll truck. Take, I'll, think the I'll take the over-under on none. Okay. But when Amazon announced that they were going to start delivering drones five years ago on 60 Minutes, the press, press has been writing about it every week for the last five years. Uber just announced that in L.A., they're working with NASA to come up with these flying taxis. So I don't mean to be cynical, cynical but I don't think when I'm here in two years visiting you, <laughs> I I'm know I saw by that by 2020 or something. Companies traditionally, in the past, like to underpromise and overdeliver. Yes. These companies overpromise and underdeliver, and yes. the press seems to put up with it.
1: So you're literally saying, kind of the world we live in now almost works for these companies. In that traditional media now is the PR department, and you and I, Apple was funded by investors that don't care about profits. They're just Amazon. Like, I'm sorry, Amazon. Is yeah. for, and Apple runs pretty much every. If you. Sometimes you'll, I'll text somebody, and they go, it, didn't, it wasn't iMessage. I feel like, you're, like it's something wrong. Different color.
0: Sometimes yeah, it doesn't green. go through. And
1: they're like, what the hell? Let, let me read this. This is interesting. So I was talking a little earlier before we went live about how I can't tell if you love them or hate them, or maybe it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. But you said, um, by the way, a good job on the book to put things like this in visuals. I can't tell you how many books. Forget to do this. So you talk about here, imagine a retailer that refuses to pay sales tax, treats his employees poorly, destroys hundreds of thousands of jobs, and yet is celebrated as a paragon of business innovation. I'm assuming you're talking about Amazon. Yeah. Then you say, a computer company that withholds information about a domestic act of terrorism from federal investigators with the support of a fan following that views the firm similar to religion. Apple? That's right. So the reli- you consider Apple almost religious state? Folks?
0: As we become more educated and affluent, church attendance goes down, but our questions and anxieties are bigger and bigger, creates a void for a religion. Apple's our religion, Steve Jobs is our Jesus Christ, and this is the new cross.
1: Wow. Not controversial at all. <laughs> um, and you say a social media firm that analyzes thousands of images of your children... Activate your phone as a listening device and sells the information to Fortune 500 companies. Is Facebook literally recording us when we don't know it? So they, if you have the Facebook app open, there's
0: ambient listening. Now to be fair, it's just there so it can serve you more relevant ads. So if you're at an Adele concert, you might get served her album. They're not okay. doing anything uh, insidious with it. The scary part though is that Facebook has shown us they haven't put in place the, the safeguards to ensure that it's not
1: weaponized by bad actors.
0: Right. So the scary thing isn't that, isn't that Facebook's listening, it's
1: that an intelligence unit of the Russian government might be listening. Right, so they're hacking in somehow. Zach, one of, one of Zach's here running the sound, but his brother Andy is convinced. I have one of those Alexa things, mm-hmm. and he's like, I don't want to be in the room. Trust me, it's listening to us. He's- it
0: spools 45, cent, 45 seconds backwards, but it's going to create all sorts of inter- interesting things. Should we train... Alexa, that when it hears a gunshot, to call the police automatically. Violation of privacy versus crime prevention. There's just gonna be some very interesting things that happen with these new technologies. Or somebody yells out
1: fire or something loud enough. Or I've fallen and I can't get up. I've fallen and I can't get up might work. I got a 99-year-old grandma. And then lastly, you said an ad platform that commands in some markets a 90% share of the most luc- lucrative sector in media, yet avoids anti-competitive regulation through aggressive litigation lobbyists. Assuming that's Google. 90% share, more share than Ma Bell or the railroads had of a
0: market that by a dollar volume is bigger than the entire advertising market of yeah. any country with the
1: exception of the US. And when you add Facebook into that, you talk about that later in the book. Google and Facebook, AdWords. So Google controls AdWords. They control YouTube advertising now. They uh, And then you have Facebook controlling it, its own and, of course, Instagram ads, mm-hmm. which are – and really, when you think online outside of that, there's not that much more. There's Snapchat doing a little bit of advertising, Twitter. So – are they aggressive in terms of lobbying? Is Google- Oh yeah, they learned from Microsoft's
0: failure not to lobby. They, have, they spent a great deal of money on lobbying. You talked about Facebook. This isn't a communications vehicle. I, I doubt you even take calls on this. I don't trust people to call me on this, only if they text me. 80% of our time on phone is in app, and six of the top 10 apps okay. are owned by one company, Facebook. Yeah. And you talked about digital marketing, between Facebook and Google, they commanded last year 103% of the growth in digital marketing. Huh. So if you're in digital marketing, which we think of as being this great growth sector, and you don't work for Facebook or Google, you now join newspapers or television in that you're working for a business and structural decline.
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Most of my, me and my business partner has spent $600 million combined on marketing our companies that we own. And almost all of that is with Facebook. He spent more on Facebook, I've spent more on Google. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's nine. it's exactly what you put in the book. 90%. All right, let me skip ahead. I've got various things that I, at five in the morning, I kind of put right here. Um, you already talked about this, kind of the head fate kind of things that they do. Where is this one that I thought was so fascinating? So um, let's talk about driving prices down. Mm-hmm. So we traditionally think that the reason you don't want a monopoly. Mm -hmm. Rockefeller was the richest man in history, if you adjust for today's dollars. About $600 billion he had in today's dollars. And it's because he had a monopoly, he ran the thing. So now Google comes in, and you're talking about how their ad revenue's gone up, but they've been able to deliver a lower price to advertise. Mm-hmm. So is that a good thing? That they, So maybe monopolies are good in this case because they're offering us cheap, the fact that Amazon is almost a monopoly on online, they're able to buy in bulk and ship. So it, can monopolies be good or are they evil? So the, the term natural monopolies is that in
0: some sectors that require enormous capital investment, it might make sense to have, let someone have monopoly like power. So mm. certain cable companies are offered Limited competition and aren't subject to the same antitrust. What you have with Google and the other technology companies that you reference it's so powerful, is they have a different gestalt. Most consumer companies think if we have a good year, if we're Chanel or Procter right. and Gamble, we raise prices, raise faster prices. Than inflation. Tech comes at things with a different viewpoint. Google last year grew its revenues 20 percent, while lowering its prices 21 percent. So if you're selling TV ads or print ads. You have to compete with a Google that has better products this year and lowered its prices 21%. So every year, technology eats more and more of the economy because its viewpoint is, let's massively improve our product, but let's also lower the prices. Whereas most consumer
1: companies go, if we're killing it, let's raise prices. Yeah. So in a way, it can be good, but maybe it's one of those monsters that can get out of control conceivably. And eventually, if Google just started uh, doing things that we didn't like, we wouldn't have much control because we're running. Like me, I'm running all my ads, and you see it with Facebook. If Facebook doesn't like a product you're trying to advertise, for those of you entrepreneurs listening in, you almost have to switch businesses. Mm-hmm. If it's, a, I know people that sell supplements. Let's say Facebook doesn't really like supplements, and so I know people that get out of that whole business once they realize Facebook won't approve their ads.
0: Yeah, it's uh, so. For example, with Google, the, the, there's a lot of concerns. One, there's now something called Google Answers, where people are now asking Google because they trust it more than their treat, their priest, their rabbi, their scholar questions, and Google is answering them for us. Yeah. And the question is, do we want to outsource truth? My kid no longer looks to me for answers; he asks Alexa. Right. So, are we comfortable with a new source of information, and are we comfortable with this company controlling ninety percent share? It's also it, the, the, you you kind of honed in on the crux of the issue, and that is what is, we're going to wrestle with is what is always good for the consumer, always good for society. Right. Because it would be hard to deny these companies aren't good for the consumer. But if Amazon is putting every retailer out of business, Facebook and Google will grow their business $22 billion this year. They need an additional 12,000 employees to handle that additional revenue, mm-hmm. traditional media companies, ad agencies, TV stations need 150,000 people. So, so a 12 it, roughly. So, basically, you're going to have two and a half Yankee stadiums of copywriters, creatives, showrunners, production teams get their pink slips every January one yeah. because of Google and Facebook's growth and efficiency. Yeah. So we've had that in the past. we have replaced had, by
1: robots. We've had job destruction. We've just never had companies this good at it. Yeah. I, I mean, there's all these books now about living wages and, and, and automatic uh, kind of, uh, what are they called? Universal, Universal income, income, income. Yeah. Which is basically saying, there ain't going to be enough jobs, we're going to save so much money with efficiencies, like with technology, that we're going to have to literally just pay people for not working. You yeah. already see that in Scandinavia. I mean, in yep. Scandinavia, if you, get, if you lose a job, they pay you for two years almost your full salary. So one interesting thing, let's switch subjects for a second here. Really good part. For, for those of you chiming in late, we're, list, we're with the four, the hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Professor Scott Galloway flew out here, was kind enough to come out. You've got great people recommending you read the book. Good old Seth Godin. Um, Jonah Berger, I know Jonah, he wrote a great book, Contagious. But you're a professor. You teach at NYU Business School, Stern. Uh, you talk about, and I thought this was interesting because I was like, is he an active professor saying this? But you kind of criticize the structure about electives and people going to two-year business school. And it sounded almost like, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Are you saying that one whole year you think the structure almost wastes people time and it makes money for the colleges but doesn't serve them best? Yeah, I think
0: uh, if you look at the cost of education, it's out, outpaced Uh, healthcare, it's outpaced cable TV, it has become a social ill. I think our university system has effectively become a caste system, where your future is largely, unfortunately, dictated by the college you go to or the level of education. And education has become unattainable, it's become so expensive for kids like me, who was raised by a single mother who was a secretary just three miles down the road here. The thing driving the costs is this union called tenure. We have social services, food stamps, and welfare for the undereducated. We have welfare for the overeducated called tenure. And in business school, the way it manifests itself is we have a second year. We really only need one year. The first year of management operations, marketing, and finance takes a kid making 60K a year, turns them into a kid making 110K a year, which is the average salary coming out of NYU. Great return on capital, right? The second year is largely a waste, so we can charge $120,000 in tuition instead of 60, and fulfill the teaching requirements of a bunch of tenured faculty that should have been put on an ice floe 30 years ago. We could do an MBA in one year. Are you and popular
1: at yeah, NYU? Yeah, as you can imagine. <laughs> with I'm, the professors. As you can imagine, I don't
0: get invited to lunch a lot with my colleagues.
1: <laughs> You're like, no. uh, you, iceberg time. You're uh, pissing me having off. Having
0: said that, I'm going to be serious. NYU loves free thought and free thinking, right. even if you offend people. The second year should have four pillars too, and the four pillars should be Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google to understand these companies, how they create value, the instinct they tap into, how they've been able to aggregate the GDP of India across the population of the Lower East Side of Manhattan is to understand the intersection between technology, innovation, and media, and information services, and retail. So the four pillars of business, in my view, Post management, operations, finance, and marketing are these four
1: companies. Huh. So for those of you listening that are entrepreneurs or considering being entrepreneurs, what you're really saying is, what you talk about in this book is the ultimate case study. If you dissect, reverse engineer these four companies, you almost have a micro model for anything that you wanna do. You're gonna need to know these skills. You're gonna need to know the design and creativity and marketing abilities. I, this is how I think about it, correct me if I'm wrong. To me, when I think of Apple, it embodies the ability to have sleek designs, urgency marketing, scarcity marketing. It's this beautiful. It's kind mm-hmm. of beautiful. When I think of Google, like you, like you said, I think of a lot of um, its information technology. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately, it's, they have PhDs in library science. If you get a PhD in library science, you're probably going to go work at somewhere mm-hmm. like Google. When I think of uh, Amazon, I think of aggressive business. So I was just at a talk uh, here in LA, Jeff Bezos stopped in and you know, the man was aggressively taking diapers.com was mm-hmm. a company. And he went to the owner of diapers.com and he said, "Listen to me. If sell me your company." And the guy said, "No." And he said, "You better sell me your company or I'll just make my own diapers version. I'll drop the price and put you out of business." And he mm-hmm. dropped the price and one of his executives said to Jeff, if we lower the price of diapers this much, we'll lose $100 million a quarter. And he mm-hmm. goes, I don't care. And so when I think about those of you watching, the need to be somewhat aggressive and competitive at times, that's what I think about with uh, Amazon. And then Facebook, i th- when I, what I think about Facebook is really tapping into almost internet 2.0, you know, internet 1.0 was kind of just selling things online and internet 2.0 was connecting people and using that information to sell to them. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of a fair So I, uh,
0: I'll, I'll take a swag at that as well. So Google, I think, is a modern man's God. We used to turn to a super being for answers. Now, as we're more educated, more affluent, we don't depend as much on a super being, but we still have modern day anxieties and questions. Will my kid be all right? A prayer is a... you send a query into the universe hoping there's divine intervention It sends you back an answer. Now it's symptoms and treatment of croup into the Google dialog box. Google is our modern man's god. All of these tap into a specific instinct. Facebook taps into our need to love. One of the wonderful things about our species is we not only need to be loved, kids with poor nutrition but high levels of of affection have greater outcomes than kids with good nutrition and poor levels of affection but we need to love others. The number one indicator or signal of you're making it to 100 years or not is how many people in your life do you love? I I met your cousin working here. That's a signal that you're a caretaker. People who let their parents move in with them and decide to take care of them, the life expectancy goes up two to three years. New mothers do not die. It's an instinct to want to take care of others, and when you the physical and mental nuance of taking care of others releases a hormone that clears out the bad cholesterol and you get to stick around on this earth a little bit longer. Facebook taps into our need to love others and is creating first and second degree relationships, catalyzing them, reinforcing them, mostly through images that create a lot of empathy and kind of second order love. Moving further down the gut, our instinct since we emerged from caves is always more. We always want more because the penalty for too little is the worst death in the world, starvation. So open your cupboards, open your closets, look at this fat pad and you think, I don't need any more. And then the moment after you think that you think, I'd like a bigger pad or I'd like a penthouse in Manhattan or I would like more clothes. So the the more for less business strategy is usually the company that is the most valuable in the world. It's the strategy of Walmart, it's the strategy of China as a society to offer the world more for less. And now it's the big winner there is Amazon. Moving further down the torso, your strongest instinct is survival. Most of us get up in the morning, we know we've checked that box. You were not worried about making it to the end of the day today. You were confident you were gonna survive. So you go to your second instinct, which is procreation. This is the new signal that you have good genes. This means having an Apple iOS means that you are educated, affluent, appreciate artisanship, have disposable income, and that you have good genes. This is saying, I am it's a good a little bit. This is the feathers, the new luxury item. And as a result, has been able to pull off the impossible. The low-cost provider, meaning Apple can go into its supply chain and secure pr- components for the lowest price, mm-hmm. but it charges the premium right. price. So that's the equivalent. Yeah. I saw these fat cars out there. Imagine, imagine the margins of a Lamborghini or a Ferrari with the production volumes of a Toyota. Yeah. That's what Apple yeah. has done. And as a result, is the most profitable company in history, more profitable, than IBM, Oracle, Unilever, Walmart, and P&G combined. We have never seen yeah. a profit generator because it taps into a very irrational organ, and that's our reproductive organs. You wanna, yeah. you wanna, as a company, figure out what instinct you tap into, and ideally you wanna tap into the irrational
1: ones. Love. Yeah, you said there's right? three in the book. You said there's the rational, the emotional, and the genitals. I like that. There you <laughs> it's, go. Like, it's like something sexy. But you the, talk, is, not to interrupt you, but no, on right. that, the, the, one of the parts later in the book Uh, By the way, I highly recommend you guys grab this book, The Four, uh, by here, Professor Galloway. You talked about how these companies, uh, you talk about wealth on the Forbes 400 when you subtract Mm -hmm. people who have inherited their money, and what a large percentage of them were either in retail or luxury goods. Yeah. So there's, there's money, and that's that procreation side of where we have luxury, we're signaling to the world. If you study you know, classic evolutionary theory, that was one of the things that Darwin struggled with. Why does a peac- male peacock have all these extra feathers? Because they take energy and they seem to serve no purpose. But the purpose was to show I have so much energy that I don't care. And so when a man buys, you know, I have a lot of cars, Charles Darwin would be like, you're trying to signal to women that not only could I have one Lamborghini, but I forgot that I have like that kind of mentality. So you're saying Apple, because that's an interesting take. That's what you think Apple's Your Ferrari
0: and iOS signal the same thing. It says you're stronger, smarter, and faster than the other guy. And then if a woman mates with you, her kids are more likely to survive than if she mates with someone who drives a Hyundai and has Android. At the end of the day, that's what you're signaling. And you will Mm. pay a lot of money To feel i'm wearing a cashmere sweater that costs about 10 times more than i need to stay warm right but i'm trying to communicate to people that i have an italian sense of design and sensibility and that i'm an attractive mate and even if you're in a monogamous relationship and not looking to procreate actively these things have been pounded into you for millions yes. of years, so you still want that canary yellow Ferrari in your, in your garage even if you're happily married. Even if you love your husband and have no plans of procreating with anybody else, you will still buy $600 ergonomically impossible shoes. Right. So you want to tap into these irrational margins because irrational in the consumer world is Latin for huge margins. Wealthiest yeah. man in Europe, Bernard Arnault. Vuitton and Hublot, yes. signaling. Wealthiest family, in New York, Estee Lauder, making your cheekbones look higher, you're a better mate. Yeah. The axiom of DNA trying to get everywhere and then trying to select the smartest, fastest, and strongest DNA is the algorithm creating more shareholder value the last 30 years of yeah. any category, more than tech, huh. almost as much as finance, depending on when you look at it. Yeah,
1: finance is a big one. Uh, but take, take, out a- yeah,
0: take out inherited wealth and finance, more people on the Forbes 400 list, from uh, retail and fashion in any other category. The, the second, Zara guy. Is number well. two. Yeah. Exactly, and number three is H&M. Yeah. So you either want to appeal there. The, the number one source of wealth creation in consumer companies up until the, in, the uh, introduction of Google from World War II was appealing to the heart. Yeah. Here's a high caloric paste for your kids. Mm-hmm. That's appealing to the brain. That'll keep them alive, it's nutritious. No, it's not. Here's a high caloric paste that signals that you love your kids more than your neighbors. Why, because choosy moms choose Jeff. So we took all these powders, these solvents, these soaps, and we placed American, patriotic, European elegance, maternal feelings of love around these things, and we turned 30 or 50 cents of powder into something worth three to five bucks, and P&G and Unilever created hundreds of billions of dollars in value. You want to appeal to the irrational instance.
1: Yeah, I always say. Uh, yesterday uh, on the show, I had Jordan Belford, Wolf of Wall yeah. Street, and he's a great salesman, obviously. And he said, uh, he said ultimately, ninety percent of it's emotional sales. Mm-hmm. Humans struggle. I mean, even if you look at our brain, one of my business partners is a molecular neurobiologist, and he basically says, you know, the part of your brain that's rational, like your neocortex, your medium, prefrontal, all this kind of part. He said. it it first goes through your brain stem and your medulla, all this primitive stuff, and then maybe your thoughts get up here. Mm -hmm. You know, we can sense beauty. A a man or a woman can tell if somebody's beautiful from almost any angle from 50 paces away. You could, if Angelina Jolie walked in here, um, you would be able to know she's beautiful even if she wasn't standing in front of you. You could see from far, and same with, you know, whatever. Hannah, what guy do you like? Matthew, you should like Matthew McConaughey. Okay. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right. We, he was. I was talking on the Wolf of Wall Street. He was doing. You know the chest thumping part. Yeah, that's a great movie. That's only Matt McConaughey. They added that in. He's like, I never did that. All right, let's keep going through the book. Few more things that I wanted to talk about. So let's talk about. So we talked about the four massive companies. Okay, let's talk about the fifth potential horseman. So. We had potential for Alibaba, mm-hmm. Uber. Uh, I think you mentioned, uh, what was the other one? Tesla. Tesla. And now, you, hey, you made a good prediction. You said he's going to expand out of cars. Yesterday, Elon Musk announces semi-trucks. Oh, like Boring right? company. Like it's, yeah. So if you had to bet, Who's going to be the fifth big one? You talk about the problems with Alibaba and the problems. I thought it was interesting. What you said constrains Tesla is they're not as international, even though they are big in Europe, uh, Scandinavia, but that's a small market. Um, you talked about the constraints on Alibaba was capital. I thought that was interesting compared to Amazon.
0: They don't have access to cheap capital. Also, Alibaba suffers a little bit from what Tesla suffers from and the Chinese companies traditionally haven't been good at going
1: global. Yes. There aren't
0: that many global Chinese brands. And China
1: hasn't been good at going global. Uh, there's a, I think it was Jared Diamond's book, Gun, Germs, and Steel, mm-hmm. uh, talk, uh, talks about how China's never traditionally been a conquering country mm-hmm. in terms of going. So if you had a wager right now, yep. knowing you could be wrong, who's gonna be, is it Uber? Who's gonna be the fifth horseman?
0: So two years ago, I would have bet on Uber because I thought Uber was not a ride-hailing service but a back-end fulfillment infrastructure to rival Amazons. Okay, so So like Uber Eats was the beginning of it. That's right, I was wrong. The fifth right now, the good money in my view, is the operating system of the second most important screen in our lives. This is number one, number two is TV, and that's Netflix. Ah, I millennials. Like that. Millennials spend more yes. time watching Netflix than the rest of cable television combined. Yes. If they continue to command that sort of custody of the wealthiest consumers in the world, you could see them getting into all sorts of different businesses. Yes.
1: Where would you go? So, if you're Reed Hastings, you're running Netflix. Where do you go next?
0: Oh, I would probably introduce voice. What about music? Why fair not enough? take out
1: Spotify?
0: Spotify. Yeah, it's a fair point. There's a lot of different ways they could. If go. you if you controlled Netflix. What about education? Yeah, education. No, don't do that. That's the
1: industry I'm interested in. Reed Hastings, erase this from the, no, I'm just joking. I think that uh, they have, if you think about the best money people probably say they spend dollar for dollar, the average person under 40, I bet you it's Netflix. Right there. 10 bucks, and you can sit there, and people binge or watch. What's the most, you guys, anybody here has ever watched on Amazon in one day? I mean, a Netflix in one day. Uh, I was watching Stranger Things like three hours a day. Yeah. That's so, nothing. Three hours? Adrian's a newbie. He was only watching three That's, hours a day. Three hours. That, clear, that means you clearly don't vape if you're only a three hours <laughs> of Stranger Things. Well, I oh remember when they were still delivering DVDs. I, Zach here got me into into the Sopranos, and I almost lost my mind. I had to switch to that package yeah, where you get crazy. like 12 DVDs. I was like, I became so. So, That's
0: one of the greatest pivots in business history. Think about it. A mail-order DVD company takes huge risks, extraordinary capital, stock dove, and went into streaming TV. I mean, one of the greatest. Reed Hastings is arguably the most underrated CEO in the world. You think so? Yeah. Well, he's not mentioned in the same breath as Bezos
1: and Cook, and he's right up there. Yeah. That's incredible. Not the revenue levels. I mean, right now, they just passed 100 million customers, let's say, paying roughly 10 million. So they're doing a billion a month in revenue. Um, not certainly not at the level. I mean, I think Amazon, if I'm correct, I did the math, they're grossing like 300 million dollars a day or something. It's, a, it's that a, sounds about
0: right. I think they're about two, 100, 120 billion. But what Amazon and Netflix have been able to do is that they've taken a stopping and starting business like retail, where on January 1 you have to reinvent the business yep. and get new customers every day. Yes, and that's exhausting. That's like playing basketball. And in the 90s, software came up with this amazing business model and said, We're going to cut the price, but we're going to integrate it into your daily workflow, and you're going to pay us every year. And we're going to show the market that you renew recurring revenue, like a gym versus a personal trainer. Yeah. And the market's Value recurring revenue companies at a multiple of revenues versus a multiple of profits. Yes. So another gangster pivot was when Amazon took a non recurring revenue business, retail, and took it to recurring revenue business with Prime, With Prime, which is now in 62% of households. More households have a recurring revenue relationship with with Amazon called Prime than voted in the
1: 2016 presidential election or have a landline phone. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of interesting stats in this book. I like the one that Apple has more cash than the economy of of Denmark. You know, you got a lot of money, Zach. When you're like, oh, that country, I have more money than that country. Not that that region. Not that state. That country. That yeah, that nation. Um, so as we wrap up here, I wanted to talk about, especially for people listening that are launching business. Let's talk about the losers, mm-hmm. because my I had I had. Uh, Lunch, uh, dinner with Steve Ballmer this year. Fascinating guy, very smart. Very 32 billion dollars owns the Clippers, but Microsoft has definitely been a loser in the game. What do you think they did wrong that allowed? Because arguably they could have been in the Big Four now. Had they gone earlier in foray into the internet and all these things. So what's the lesson, the cautionary tale for everybody listening? That no matter how good you think you are. There's somebody ready to take you out, and what do you have to watch for?
0: Uh, so that's, that's a complicated question, but just first off, Microsoft has actually had a, an incredible renaissance the last two years. Yes, they're the third recently, most valuable yes. company in the world right now. So arguably, they are the fifth horseman, but I didn't write about them because they're B2B. You know, I think having the courage to reinvest and constantly reinvent yourself, staying hungry, always being paranoid, as Andrew Grove said, yeah. figuring out a way, there's some things changing. Uh, so, for example, moving to an urban center now, being yes. uh, within a bike ride. I can't think of a company that's created more than $10 billion in value in any given year that is now not a bike ride from a world-class engineering university. Mm. Technology really, really is eating the world. You need to be perceived as an accelerant for people's careers that they show up. You yep. have to show extraordinary financial success because I believe, and some people think this is crass, but I ple- people, for the most part, go to work to provide economic security for them and their families. And will be, always be yes. drawn to the economic winner. You have to be seen as a good citizen. You have to be seen as going global. So there's a lot of features. You see you see companies moving away from these suburban campuses into urban centers. Yeah. There's all kinds of, I go through something called the T algorithm where I think there's eight features of companies that have a shot of getting to a trillion dollars that all these yeah. companies mostly have. They're vertical, they control the experience. Yep. Apple controls the experience with their stores. Yeah. So I work with Nike, Samsung, Rolex, P&G. I think they're all gonna have to, all going to need to open stores to maintain their irrational margins if they want to be... Microsoft tried. They didn't do so well. Uh,
1: execution Microsoft, means everything. I was yeah. on the board
0: of Gateway Computer. We tried and it didn't work. Yeah. But Samsung's not catching Apple with those gorgeous temples to the brand called Apple stores. Yeah.
1: So, oh, I, know. I like that you call them temples to the brand. Yeah, that's it. That, yeah, this is... As we wrap up, let me just read this or go through this last, last part. There was one more thing. The book's interesting because at the very end you have this chapter called The Four and You, which means, it's almost like a template for success based off, and I'm not gonna, we don't have time to go through all of this, but these are the personal success factors that you need. And a couple of them caught my eyes, uh, caught my eye. Get to a city. Hands down. You were talking about how important it is. Um, We're here in Los Angeles, you're in New York. Talk about pimping your career. you talked about serial monogamy in the context of get a job, you're probably not going to stay there forever, mm-hmm. but when you're there, focus on it. Give Don't it be all. like Tinder dating and thinking, oh, there's always a better job, and stay there as long as it makes sense.
0: Be exceptionally loyal until you aren't. Yeah. And But going back to a city, two-thirds of economic growth over the next 20 years are going to take place in cities. When you're in a city, have you ever... Play tennis and rallied with someone who's better than you, and your game immediately goes up. Right. When you're in a city, you're with, you're on the court with a bunch of players that are better than you, and you're just going to raise your game. Yeah, I would argue city.
1: cities make you less happy, but they make you more money. So that's my a decent. That's a, actually a decent. A, a I decent have a analogy. couple farms I bought in Virginia. So what I do is try to rotate around. Yep. So if you can pull it off, have a house in the mountains, a house at the beach, and then go back. I go back to LA. It's almost like going back into yeah. war. Yeah, back into the Thunderdome. Back into the Thunderdome. So, uh, yeah, I like this Professor Galloway career advice. This is a, a sexy job factor. Can we just a, talk about it in one second? Yeah, we'll talk it's about important. This.
0: You want to open a restaurant, you want to produce movies, you want to go to work for Vogue, you better get a lot of psychic income because on a risk-adjusted basis, your return's going to be awful. You want to start a software as a SaaS platform for healthcare maintenance workers, something that sounds like you want to put a gun in your mouth? Boring. I smell, I smell yes. money. The more boring the, yes. the industry, the higher the ROI because the sexy industries are overinvested and they're like any asset class. When everyone's buying Florida real estate, watch out, there's a crash. And then when no one wanted to buy Florida real estate in 2009, go in and buy. Yeah. Find industries that other people find boring. Yes. If you can't help it and you have to work for Vogue, okay, then go do it. But if you're looking to do something in terms of just sheer
1: ROI on your human and financial capital, boring is sexy. Yeah, and he's talking, it's interesting, because it's two things. If you're starting a business, you may want to start a sexy one, going mm-hmm. off the Zara and the retail and the amount of billionaires. Great. If you're an employee, you're saying, those jobs, they're like, Everybody wants to work for us. Interns here, you get, you know, to get my donuts and that's it. So Wayne Haizonga was a billionaire, unfortunately started Blockbuster, but he was already wealthy. And before that he had waste management, which is a trash business. And I actually had a uh, older mentor of mine and him and a buddy had invested in, I can't remember if it was waste management, one of these. And they were, they got paid a million dollars a month as a dividend for investing in it years ago. They owned a small, I mean, trash generated, made them $50 million or something like that as a small investor in it. Hmm. So that goes to your point. Well, this has been amazing. For those of you uh, listening, go to tylopez.com. the four, just the words, T-H-E, four. I'm gonna put a special page up for this book, tylopezcom slash the four, I'll put links to Professor Galloway's stuff. He's got a TED Talk he just did. He's got some great consulting companies for those of you listening who have enterprise uh, needs. And so. Thanks for, don't party too hard in Vegas. We need to do a second interview. I could slip and break a hip if I'm not careful. (laughs) No, I don't want it to be like one of those hangover things where two days later they find you on the roof.
0: It would pimp the video of you. It's the last interview I did, right? The last
1: interview, the forgotten (laughs) Tupac. Yeah, yeah. professor Gallagher. well, thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Congratulations on all your success. No, on yours, this is a great book. Check out the book. Um, Don't get left behind by the four.